Welcome everyone to the Breathe Better podcast. I'm your host, Sienna Smith, and I am so thrilled to welcome our guest today, which is Anders Olson, the author, author of Conscious Breathing. And this is a resource. His book is a resource that I use in my six-week breathing course because it is so full of practical information, relatable stories, and breathing practices that can give a person a solid, basic foundation and understanding of breathing and how it can help our lives, really change our lives on all levels. And I also want to mention, Anders, that your website is consciousbreathing.com if they want to visit that. It's also a wealth of information. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here, Sienna. Wonderful. And Anders and I were just talking before we started here, and he said it was minus three degrees, and that sounds really cold, but he's still bike to work. And I love that sort of warrior athletic spirit in you. <laughs> so we will touch on that today as well for all I our think it's, it's probably just because the, the gas prices are so high so <laughs> they are high aren't they goodness yeah. gracious just another added stress to our lives that we don't really need but we all know at least people that are tuning in here are aware that breathing is one of the best things we can have in our back pocket and i can't wait to get into some of the details of that so I'd like to start by asking you a question that's related to my line of work. So my line of work is um, I'm a certified yoga therapist and some people go, what is that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would describe it as using yoga postures, breathing, meditation, and yoga philosophy to really connect and heal with the, heal the body on a mind, body, spirit level. So I work with clients day in and out for 20 years and all of them come to me with some kind of pain, discomfort, or even emotional suffering. And I want to hear from you, what would you recommend to people coming with those physical pain or even emotional pain? How can breathing help them? Yeah, I think everything is uh, related, right? So if we look at our problems, our issues as a vicious cycle and, and it could be we have problems sleeping or we have poor eating habits or we are very stiff or we have a job we don't like. And I think in this vicious cycle, our breathing patterns is always a, an important part. So when we look at it from an emotional perspective, when we look at it from a mental perspective or when we look at it from a physical perspective, we can see then that probably there is um, breathing patterns that have room for improvement. I've been reading a lot about um, the research on how to decrease physical pain through breathing. Can you speak to that? Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of the painkillers, actually what they do when, when you get the medication from the hospitals, from the doctors, they actually reduce your breathing. You, you can see that in, in studies. And probably that is a major reason why uh, you start to get relief from the pain, because the opposite then is fight-flight breathing, which is um, uh, faster breathing. Usually then it also uh, is associated with high chest breathing and uh, maybe also the mouth is open. So when you start to slow down your breathing, then your body starts to get less tense. And if we just think about it, if we uh, want to experience pain, we, we can just tense up like this and, and then if we wait here for 10 minutes in, in, in a posture where we're very tense, I'm, I'm sure we will 
feel some aches and pains here and there. So one of the, the things that I was most surprised with was in the beginning when I started teaching conscious breathing and people, they taped their mouth at night to ensure only nasal breathing while sleeping. And they uh, frequently reported that they felt less pain when they woke up. And I, I was surprised. I couldn't figure that out until I realized that mouth breathing while sleeping, that really takes us more into the direction towards fight flight. And, and if, if we think about it, what is fight flight? If we look at our body, if, oh, there is a tiger coming, well, we, we, we won't just stand up straight like that. We will tense our muscles, right? And get ready to fight or, or flee. So obviously then what happens when we're asleep, if our mouth is open and we induce this fight flight state, then we will tense up in our muscles. And no wonder we wake up with a pain if we have laid in bed six, seven, eight, nine hours uh, to a large extent with, with tense muscles. So you're relating tension in the muscles as a indicator or exacerbator of pain. Um, is there a way that a specific kind of breathing technique that we can do to relax muscles that you found that really works to do that? In general, I think the, what I call the activation breathing or fight flight breathing, I'm not saying that that is wrong. It also has its place. Uh, if there is a tiger, I should probably not sit down and meditate. Uh, <laughs> I should probably engage my whole system into a more fight flight state. And the breathing is a reflection of that. And the breathing can actually help us get there. But I think the problem occurs when we spend too much time in the fight flight and in the one of the problems, I think, is that the modern society is, is quite unnatural compared to how we have lived evolutionary-wise uh, before, where a, a, a danger is something before, a trigger that issued a fight-flight response, that usually led to a physical reaction. Now, we, uh, we sit still and we get an email from an angry customer or, or a phone call, or we watch an action movie or a sports game and we engage in that fight flight, but we're not moving, but our breath is also engaging in that fight flight. So it seems like many of us, we spend too much time with this fight, fight, fight flight breathing. So in my case, the reason why I'm so hooked about breathing was because it changed my life. I was finally able to unlock my turbo. I've been always going around since I was little, as long as I can remember, with a racing mind, really had problems to, to wind down. And, and suddenly, I mean, I had, I had searched for many different tools and they had, all of them had helped to, to a certain extent, but the key was really the breathing. Here I had something that could give an immediate effect. And that is basically then to be able to unlock the turbo and go into the parasympathetic state. And that's basically just to switch your breathing instead of mouth breathing maybe, or fast breathing, shallow breathing, maybe holding our breath. We just do the opposite. So what I teach is as far from rocket science, I think you can never come. It's that simple. Once you understand the principles, of course, a challenge could be to, to apply it more and more often, but that's basically the essence in what I'm teaching. Okay, if you're too much in fight flight, here is a tool to help you to reach um, 
parasympathetic, safe and secure and rest and digest. And that is where healing takes place as well. So if we have a lot of these issues, whether it's physical, mental or emotional, I think we, we then have a tendency to be more in fight flight, in, including pain and, and stiffness. So I'm wondering if there is a specific breathing technique that might activate the parasympathetic nervous system if we're linking the parasympathetic nervous system to relaxation in the body. Because this is something that, you know, I work with people a lot in, in mm-hmm. yoga because they come in with this tension, let's say in the shoulders, in the neck, in the jaw, um, which is creating all kinds of issues, you know, migraines, um, even heart issues because of the tension around the heart and the chest, too much chest breathing. Could you guide us in a a parasympathetic nervous system type breathing that will flip that switch for us? Yeah, I, I can see three simple things. One is to just take the big, big breath, which is fill, fill, fill our whole uh, lung system with air and then prolong the exhalation very long because exhalation is tied to relaxation. If, if I'm exaggerating, <gasps> inhale, that's tied to activation. That's fight flight. That is, oh, there is the tiger actually. <laughs> and, and we wake up the body while, and also if we measure our pulse, we will see that the heart rate goes up the muscles, they are active to uh, get the air in. Um, and you would, um, yeah, you go more to, uh, to sympathetic. While the exhale is connected to relaxation, like, oh, now the danger is over, the stress is over, now we can relax and we sigh in relief, telling us that the exhale is where t- we let go of our tensions. We we, we relax and we can also see then that the pulse goes down on the exhale. And also there is on a normal exhale, not this sigh, but on a normal exhale, there is no real active muscle movement. The muscle just go back to their resting position. So it is indeed uh, when we uh, extend our exhale uh, a way for us to find that relaxation. So we can do it via the big, big, big breath where we also stretch um, uh, the the muscles from the inside since we blow up the lungs and then taking the long exhale. And we can also just do it normally before we're eating, if we're stressed up, before an important meeting, if we're stressed uh, out, we we can just think that we take twice as long exhale as inhale. So we can count maybe one, two, three on the inhale, one, two, three, four, five, six on the exhale. you can also do this while walking. And the, the great thing to do as well when you uh, prolong the exhale is to close your mouth and preferably have your tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, just gently, just relaxed. But if we think about it, why does kids want to suck their thumb or why do they want the pacifier? It is because the, the tongue is like closing a, a circuit you have the, the body meridians that they are coming here to the mouth. And if you uh, go into the roof of the mouth, there are a lot of acupuncture points and those are stimulated by the tongue. And there is this amazing or funny, maybe you should say this figure called the homunculus. And that is basically a drawing of 
a person uh, uh, to how, how are the different body parts represented in the, the brain. So the, the hands are huge and specifically the thumbs, because obviously with all our abilities with our hands, there is a huge representation in the brain. The feet are quite big, the genitals, they're quite big, but after the hands surprisingly comes the tongue and the lips. So that tells us when the lips are apart, when the tongue is not in the roof of the mouth, it is basically to telling the brain that, okay, now we're in alert mode. We are not relaxed. On the contrary, when we put the lips together, when we put the tongue in the roof of the mouth, we tell the brain, okay, now everything is under control. Now we can just relax. And, and of course, these things you can apply while you do different yoga exercises and also outside of the yoga mat in our daily lives when we take those about thousand breaths each hour. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned tongue position because yeah. I think that's something that people miss frequently about breathing. Um, yes. yes. Okay. So we're learning to breathe through the nose. Um, mm. We're slowing our breath down, but hardly anybody talks about tongue position. Um, I know in, in yoga for many years, I was telling people, oh, in Shavasana, relax your tongue. And then a myofacial therapist that I was working with said, you can't relax your tongue. Your tongue's actually supposed to be toned and up in the upper palate resting in the roof of the mouth. Mm. And it's the fact that it's trying to relax that's blocking the airway, which is increasing stress. And I also appreciate you mentioning acupuncture points in the, in the roof of the mouth. We talked a lot about that in yoga, as far as closing that circuit and yoga right. looks at it a little bit more in a sort of esoteric, less scientific way. I think the yogis just intuitively knew what worked and mm. maybe modern day humans have lost this connection to our intuitive self-healing capacity. But when I put my tongue now training for many years to put my tongue up there and practice that while I'm breathing, it's made a huge difference in stimulating what I believe is that parasympathetic response. So I just want yeah. to review what you said breathe through the nose to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system to breathe. If you can inhale to three exhale to six, which is a doubling of your exhalation. And then also to position your tongue in the, the upper palate the roof of the mouth. Is there anything else? Did I miss something? So I got those three things. I think that that was a good summary of what I said. And I remember when I heard that the first time, put your tongue in the roof of the mouth. And, and for me, it was tricky because I was probably to a large extent, the mouth breather before. And um, I remember thinking to myself, oh, come on. Okay, I got it about nasal breathing. I can deal with that, but this is to take it too far. I don't gonna listen to this because it was really hard for me to get the tongue up there. And at that time I got tense, but as with every other muscle, you are able to, stretch them right and make them more flexible and and now and and i'm i don't know how long time it took maybe a few months before i felt comfortable having it there now this brings up a question to me that have our tongues gotten bigger and our mouths gotten smaller or our tongues stay the same shape and our mouths gotten smaller 
those are kinds of questions where people start to put the tongue up there and they say, oh, my tongue is too big. It doesn't fit. Um, yeah. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we have a genetic potential that we are born with, right? The, the, the genetic instructions, how we should grow and evolve. And it seems like the way we are living uh, makes the, the bone, they don't meet always their full genetic potential. If we look at uh, during evolution, the, uh, the faces, it seems like we are getting more narrow and narrow and narrow faces. And the reason for that is what we just talked about, the nasal breathing and the tongue position. If you breathe through your mouth, if the tongue is in the, the bottom of the mouth, then the tongue doesn't stimulate, uh, stimulate, stimulate, which is called the maxilla. It's the bone where the upper teeth uh, um, sits in. And, and the maxilla, every time we swallow, which we do about 2,000 times per day, the, max, uh, the tongue is supposed to go up in the roof of the mouth, even though it's resting there. But it, then when we swallow, it puts some extra pressure. If, you, if you're listening in, you can just try and swallow and have your tongue up there and see if you notice that there is an extra pressure put on the maxilla. And when that extra uh, pressure is put there, that helps to expand and grow the maxilla to the sides. And also if the tongue is not there in the roof of the mouth, well, then our muscles in our lips and our uh, cheeks, they uh, will exert some pressure on the teeth. So that means that the, the teeth will not um, grow as they're supposed to. So we may end up having crooked teeth or we may have to extract some teeth because there is not enough room for them. And when someone tells us, hey, you should have your tongue in the roof of the mouth, we may find that that is not possible. So I don't think that our tongue has suddenly become a lot bigger. I think more the society we live in, there is more stress, which means that the mouth goes up more. We eat uh, basically baby food, a lot of us these days. We don't chew enough, so we don't stimulate the, the chewing muscles, which makes sense if we think about it, that a lot of people, when they're at night, they're grind, grinding their teeth. And it makes a lot of sense if we realize that probably the reason why we grind our teeth is because we do not chew enough during daytime, right? So that, that is sense. really interesting. And maybe you think uh, from uh, when you first hear about breathing and that it's far-fetched, come on, could it really affect my, the development of my face? Yeah, in, indeed it can. Now, most of us listening here are going to be adults and a lot of us will probably be over 40 and our face is pretty set. What can we do to, to enhance this, our breathing? Are we even going to be able to change our facial structure? Have you seen that? Um, with some breathing techniques or let's say mouth exercises, things like that. Yeah. So, so it is becoming more and more popular, for example, to chew on different things like harder chewing gums or, or um, even silicone or, or um, rubber things. You put it in your mouth and chew it. So you get to exercise these muscles. And there are also some dentists working with special types of adults, um, um, uh, what, what you call them, braces. or uh, so, so you can just put them in at night and that they can help you expand 
the jaw and then they that will help you to um, um, change the, the view of your face but not only that i can understand that that is important for people but we should also remember that it helps to uh, open up the airways both in the, na the nose because about 80% of the, the nasal um, um, structure is made up of the maxilla. So when we expand it, it will make it easier to breathe through the nose. And also it may be easier to, to breathe. Uh, for many people, the bo a bottleneck is in the throat, especially that is noticeable when we lay down and we start snoring or get sleep apnea. So if you have these problems, yes, there are solutions but of course it's way different compared to if you're five years old when you're still growing your face if you start to uh, apply nasal breathing and, and uh, these kind of things like like chewing more compared to if you're 45 but but still i have met several people that have um, improved um, their facial features that's wonderful to hear that we can still be improving our yeah breathing capacity, our opening our airways. And it seems like chewing properly, chewing more and also swallowing. So I was working recently with Carly Schneider, who's a um, prominent oral myofacial therapist here in the Bay Area. And she was working with me on swallowing. And I was amazed at how I was swallowing incorrectly. I wasn't really using my tongue. It was just kind of going back and then I was contracting my throat and the water was going down. So she had me do this maybe dozens of times a day to take the water and then push the tongue up in the middle upper palate and actually use the tongue to move the water so that there was more of that activation in the mouth. And I was surprised at how hard that was. Mm. But what a great exercise. You said that we swallow 2000 times a day on average. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So imagine if every time we swallowed, we used the tongue in a particular way that yeah. really facilitated connecting with those acupuncture points in the, yeah. in the palate and also improving and opening our airway just simply through swallowing properly. Um, yeah. you have so, so did, did you notice any benefits when, when you? Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely noticed my tongue more frequently, like throughout the day, I noticed my tongue up in the upper palate more mm. regularly throughout my day. And to me, that translated into more open airway, more nasal breathing, everything kind of compounded on itself yeah. and it was going in the right direction. And then at night, also, um, I have a snore app so I can keep track of my sounds that I make at night, which is a good indicator of, of not just snoring, but also heavy breathing, loud breathing, and what percentage of time you're spending. And you can also hear it, you know, on the, you can hear the breathing, you can hear the quality of it, you can hear your inhale and your exhale. And so using that, I noticed an improvement in that as well which I was pleased about still our habits are such, you know, being I'm 50 now. And as we get older, especially with women, hormonal changes um, can play a part in our ever changing breeding patterns. And so changing these 
decades long habits that probably started when we were children watching our parents breathe, et cetera. It's not easy to, to do this, to actually change our, the way we breathe unconsciously, particularly at night when we're just not awake. So I find that making the changes during the day are able to impact the way that I breathe at night, but it's slow going on the night breathing. But at least I know that during the day, I'm breathing much better during the day. And I can only trust that that will impact at, at night. Do you have any comments on that or anything that you've noticed with people you've worked with? No, I, I think the same as you, that we sleep about one third, right? And we are awake two thirds. So most likely the way we breathe during daytime will affect the nighttime breathing. Um, and so I have this product. Uh, I don't know. Uh, have, have you tried it? This is called sleep tape. Yes. Uh, have you tried? Mm-hmm. You do? Okay. Yes. For, two, for how long have you done that? For about two years, I've been doing okay. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's getting quite popular these days, I think. Yeah. And I, I suggest people in my six-week breathing course that they do start taping their mouth. And everybody mm-hmm. who's done it has really, really loved it. I had a, one person say that it almost completely eradicated her decades-long anxiety. just from taping her mouth at night. And that brought her a lot more awareness during the day that how much mouth breathing she was actually doing. And this is a a yogini. This is someone who's been practicing yoga for 20 years. She's been teaching for at least 20 years as well. And she didn't know this. And I think a lot of people don't. And what we must remember, even though if you're advanced yogi, and, and you may spend one hour a day or two hour a day on the yoga mat, there are still more than 20 hours where you're not on the yoga mat. So, so even how much yoga you do, there will still always be a lot more time during the day where you do not do yoga. So even though the activities on the yoga mat will definitely spill over and help you to stay more relaxed and calm during the day, it is still not easy in our society, right? With all the stimuli we were exposed to all the time. Absolutely. I think one of yoga's greatest gifts is bringing awareness is improving our awareness, our moment to moment, day to day awareness. So that's a way to impact our breathing, just being simply aware. However, I will say, and I just had a discussion with Patrick McEwen um, regarding this in the yoga world, how there are some misconceptions uh, about breathing and some ways that yogis breathe, let's say in a cave thousands of years ago, may or may not actually be that helpful to us now because of the way we have developed our mouth, our tongue, our respiratory function, our reaction to stress, just our lifestyles in general, more sedentary. What would you say, have you heard anything about um, people who practice yoga and the way they breathe impacting you know their bodies in a way that's actually not helpful yeah i would say so yeah um and i remember also when i started teaching conscious breathing i thought well because i also trained to become a yoga teacher in kundalini yoga and uh, i figured that well 
yogis, they know all about breathing. I can't teach them anything for that, I'm sure. But then I was proven wrong. A lot of uh, yogis came to my classes and they experienced similar to, to your friend who had had 10 years of anxiety and uh, benefited so much from taping her mouth at night. So I agree with you there. It's, it's one thing to maybe sometimes uh, we have too much focus on the flexibility and we, oh, now I can uh, go down even deeper or, or in that position or whatever. And we may end up doing what most people, when I go to the gym, you would hear them huff and puff and, uh, and moan and groan. And even in the, the, the locker room afterwards, when they take on their pants or, or dry themselves with a the towel, you can hear them uh, because if we do something often enough, we will start to create new habits, right? So, um, um, yeah, I, I, I would think so. Just because you do yoga, it doesn't at all mean that you have um, optimum breathing habits, that you have a breathing that reflects, just like we're driving the car, we want to have the right gear uh, at the right um, pace. I mean, there is one speed uh, in, in the city at rush hour, another speed at the, uh, um, what do you call it, the highway. Um, so that's the same with us. Our breathing should reflect, it should uh, mimic the need we have in every given moment. And uh, I, I don't, necessarily perceive that that is that you will get that just because you do yoga some yogis have a lot more interest in breathing than others and i i think a lot of them that have taken my course they have started to introduce it on the yoga mat for example um, when i took the course uh, that was many years ago and we were instructed then there during the training to take these big, big, big breaths. And I always felt how I got calmer and calmer. And we were down to like one, one and a half, two breaths per minute. And it was really great. And then I asked the teacher, so, okay, I got it now. I noticed now during these weeks of training that it really calms me down. So when I just go out downtown walking, how, how should I breathe then? No, you should breathe exactly the same was his reply. Um, and I thought, no, that, that sounds strange. That's a really big breath and and from the if we talk about the balance between oxygen and carbon dioxide which i'm a big fan of that is something i really want to to uh, get people to understand we take in oxygen when we inhale and then that oxygen is used to produce energy which is called the metabolism where we take oxygen and nutrients fat usually or um, uh, carbohydrates and convert it to energy, heat, water, and carbon dioxide. And on the exhale, we exhale the excess carbon dioxide. And we may think that oxygen is a good thing, and that's why it's so widespread. Take a deep breath. Oh, yeah, that's so good for me. Now I have oxygen in my body. But And, and then we may have been taught that carbon dioxide, that's just a a waste product, get rid of it as, as soon as possible. But that is not the case. And usually it's never about here is the good guy and here is the bad guy. I mean, if you drive the car and give it too much fuel, it will be just as bad as if it gets too little fuel. If, if you 
most of us can, uh, re, uh, know, we know that water is good for us because our body is made up of 60, 70% water. So obviously if I don't drink any water in a week, that's a big stress for the body. But the same goes if I drink uh, two gallons or 10 liters in a day, that's a huge stress. We, we just need to get the right amount of water, uh, water in our body and the same with our breathing. So what many don't understand is that our lifestyle have a tendency to upset the oxygen carbon dioxide balance where we take in a little bit too much oxygen and we exhale a little bit too much carbon dioxide and oxygen even though i mean if we stop breathing we die and the reason is because lack of oxygen but even though oxygen is crucial and we can't live without it it's a double-edged sword because we also know that oxygen is very, very, very toxic. It's very reactive. And that is what we call free oxygen radicals or inflammation. So if I take a bite in an apple and, and put it down, just after a couple of minutes, the, the, it will turn brown because it gets exposed to oxygen. So when we take in more oxygen than we need, well, then we will probably create more inflammations inflammations they are not bad per se it, uh, again it, it's not good or bad it's about balance but too much oxygen will increase inflammations probably increase the burden on the body and then when we lower the co2 levels because we breathe too much and thereby exhale too much co2 and we go around with a constant lower co2 pressure that will uh, have a, a big effect on the body because Firstly, it is impossible that carbon dioxide is just a waste product because it controls our breathing. And that's our number one bodily function. No breathing, no thoughts, no emotions, no nothing, right? We, we die if we don't breathe. So it, the reason why we take the next breath is not lack of oxygen. It is excess of carbon dioxide. It is the carbon dioxide that is produced in our body. When that... Uh, those levels, when, uh, when the uh, carbon dioxide reach a certain level, the brainstem uh, where we have our survival functions like temperature and heartbeat, we also have a breathing center there. And when the carbon dioxide levels go up, the breathing center will be stimulated and we will take the next breath. So it's carbon dioxide that controls our breathing. So already there, we, we realize that it is a very important gas and we need to have it in right balance, but also it has a relaxing and widening effect on the smooth muscles. So we have three types of muscles. We have the heart muscle and the skeletal muscles, which we can control by will, but then we have a large portion of smooth muscles and they surround all areas in our body, all tubes. And we have tons of tubes. We have the airways, we have the blood vessels, we have the intestines, the stomach, the um, uterus, etc. And when we then lower the CO2 pressure, they will start to uh, get more narrow, which means our body has to work harder to get the air down into the lungs. The heart has to work harder to, to get the, the blood out in the body. And we may end up with cold hands and feet, for example, when we have uh, more of this activity breathing. You brought up so many good points that I want to speak about. And one of which was 
the carbon dioxide and oxygen ratio in the blood and how offsetting that balance mm. is basically making us sick, causing us more overbreathing and more exhalations, meaning releasing of CO2. So is there a way that we can use the breathing to impact the CO2 level in our body and improve our, let's say our, our airway, that smooth muscle, um, to broaden, widen, expand, even relax, uh, so that we can actually have better efficiency when we breathe. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really, I like that word efficiency because if you look at nature, one way of looking at nature is to say it's lazy. It wants to do everything with minimum effort. Another way of looking at it is that it's striving for efficiency. And that goes for everything alive. Everything that is efficient have a higher chance of survival. And if we just think about the fact that we breathe about a thousand times an hour, obviously, we want to do it efficiently. So again, if we take the car analogy, we talk about the efficiency, the gas mileage, how far can I get on a gallon, for example? So how far, how many steps or uh, how many thoughts can I think on, on one breath or whatever we, it is that we measure? If you have low efficiency, that means you have to breathe very often. And long-term, that is not very good. You may survive, but you may not thrive, right? L life would be more like an uphill battle. Um, so if we can find the efficiency in the breathing process, and that includes uh, uh, to find a balance between carbon dioxide and oxygen, but also all these yoga postures that are fantastic to help us open up the airways. B because the lifestyle we have today where we a lot of us sit in front of a computer or a, a mobile phone many hours per day. That means that a lot of these muscles that surround the lungs, they actually inhibit good breathing. They make it harder to take the next breath. So if we do these yoga postures, we can really help open up the airways, help those muscles uh, be more flexible and function better so that they do not inhibit uh, this easy breathing that may only, in, in the best of um, scenario, it only take maybe 1% of the bodily resources. But many people, it may take three, five, 10, even if you have really poor breathing, maybe 20% of your bodily resources going to moving the air in and out of your lungs. And obviously, since that has number one priority, there would be less energy left for moving a muscle or thinking a thought or fighting a bacteria. So efficiency, yeah, I, I really like that word. And, and, and just to say regarding the relaxation, if you want to find that more often, I have developed a little product I call the relaxator, which is a, a simple little gadget to prolong your exhalation. So you just put it in your mouth. So you inhale through your nose and then you set a resistance from one to five. And then you just exhale through this resistance. You, you shouldn't, uh, it's not like you should take a big breath or you should uh, raise your shoulders or anything. You should just try to stray for, strive for a relaxed breath. And 
what it does is that it helps you to engage the diaphragm, the, our main breathing muscle, which is uh, the muscle that should make up about 80% of the total muscular activity to move the air in and out of the lungs. So our uh, diaphragm uh, ensures efficient breathing. And it also, this little uh, relaxator, it also ensures a low breathing. So low and slow and rhythmically, th those are really keys. I'm so glad you brought up the diaphragm and yes. the resistance exhalation is what I would call it. In yeah. yoga, I often have people do straw breathing where yeah. they would inhale through the nose and then purse their lips like they were blowing out a candle um, yeah. and try to extend the exhalation that way. So that's another way that they could do that. Yeah. You, you well. can even have a straw in your mouth, right? Or you just do pursed lips, or you can do the ujjayi where you squeeze the throat a little bit and where you can hear the breath. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And you were saying that this resistance exhalation, either through the relaxinator, which is your product, um, or like a straw breathing technique, mm -hmm. is improving the tone and efficiency and function of the diaphragm could you explain why that is yeah and, and just to be be clear it's not like going to the gym and, and exercising your uh, your muscles doing push-ups or whatever the the lungs they're really delicate uh, tissues so in my view i i think relaxation the relaxed breath that is really what we want to strive for and to do that, we have to put the performance to the side because they usually don't go hand in hand, relaxation and performance. Um, I'm talking from experience here. I'm, I'm typically the performer. And I thought when I started with doing breathing exercises that, okay, let's give it all we have and gets the world's best breathing in the shortest period of time, sort of really, really ridiculous. But then I know because a lot of people, they are the same as me. So, so they try to find shortcuts and, and that's not the way to do it. It's, it's really, in my view, it's not really possible because it's the relaxation that is the key. So just think about it. When, when we then uh, have a resistance, we don't need to push it that far. Just a little, little resistance is enough. So what you do then is that you you will increase the pressure in the lungs so the air will circulate more. And that uh, is a problem if we have shallow breathing. The, the air will just circulate in the upper parts of the lungs. So there will be a lot of trapped air in the other parts of the lungs, which leads to coughing. It leads to increased mucus production in order to get uh, uh, the, the waste products out uh, from these part of the lungs that normally then don't get exposed to the air. So when you open up the lungs slightly, you will have the air circulate a lot better. And, and also, if you don't have the air circulate, there is a much higher risk that there will be trapped bacteria and viruses and particles. And then you create a, an environment for them to grow and expand and we may get sick. And further, when you then uh, have this slight resistance on the outbreak, you will increase the muscle tonus in your throat and for a lot of people, that is a, a weak area. And as we said earlier, you may not notice it during daytime, but when you lay down, you may start snoring, et cetera. And further, the, 
area, the sinus area. I mean, just if we think about it, the size of the nose, it has a size of a billiard ball inside our head. So the, the thing we can see and touch and feel, that's the, the small part. So it has a huge part inside here, which then is, is made up of the, the sinuses. And the same there, when we increase the pressure slightly, the air will circulate and we will probably then have less problems with, with sinusitis or um, a, a blocked nose. So, sorry, your question was about the diaphragm. Yeah, so, so when we then prolong the exhalation slightly, that means on the inhale, my recommendation is to try to just let the air in, focus on the exhale, you prolong the exhale slightly, and then you just let the air in. So automatically, when you uh, exhale a little longer, the diaphragm will go uh, up slightly more, which means that on the following inhale, it will go down slightly lower. So that is how you activate the diaphragm in the, in the best way, in my view. So I'm a big believer in experiential learning. Could you guide us through that? where we take an inhale and we extend the exhale and we get a sense of that following inhale. Let's see if it actually makes a difference. See if we can actually feel what happens on that next inhalation. Let me just uh, guide you a little bit then. So uh, if you put one hand on your chest and one hand on your stomach, please feel free to close your eyes. And then you just start to pay attention to your breath. If you want to, you can count on the exhale and find a rhythm that works for you. I say, see if you can make it twice as long. And if you can't, you make it slightly less. The exhalation twice as long? The exhalation twice as long, yeah. And then you just let the air in. And then you just notice if you're breathing fast or slow. If your breathing is quiet or if it's audible. If you have a rhythmic breathing or if it's unrhythmic. So you let the air in and you prolong your exhalation slightly. Are you breathing through your nose or your mouth? Do you maybe get a little stressed or paying attention to your breathing? Or does it make you feel more relaxed? Are you breathing high up in your chest? Or is the breathing lower using your diaphragm? 
Where is your tongue positioned? Is it resting in the roof of the mouth? Okay, can open our eyes. <laughs> Great, thank you so much. You hit on all the, the awareness points, what I would call them. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm curious if you can help refine our understanding of the diaphragm. So when you work the diaphragm, are you actually bringing in some recruitment of abdominal muscles or are you relying on the diaphragm itself just to intuitively move up and down and remember its own way of functioning yeah i think the main thing is to it's like an orchestra right where they all should play together and in sync and and most of the muscles i think they may interfere with the breaths so so that i think is what we want to restore the rhythm and, and restore the diaphragmatic function and, and for example a woman that has had a pregnancy that may lead to uh, as, as the the fetus uh, grows and gets bigger and bigger that forces the air uh, sorry the the breath higher up in the chest and that could be permanent even after the, the baby is delivered or if you have a lot of overweight on the stomach well that will interfere with the diaphragm or if you have a tendency to eat uh, um, big portions you fill up the stomach well that will also interfere with the diaphragm so it seems like or if your posture i mean if we just adopt a slumped posture now and and notice how our breath changes compared to if we stretch our body uh, erect our body and we can then notice that it's much easier for the diaphragm to work when we have an erect posture compared to a slump posture. So all of these things contribute, right? Or we, we want to have a six pack. So, so we give everything to get that six pack and, and uh, that could be another way that interferes with the, with the diaphragm, th those muscles. Um, so I think the main thing is to release, to set the diaphragm free so it can work and operate as it's supposed to. I love the orchestra visualization and even imagining all these different instruments that we have in our body working together and coming back to some sense of memory of their original way of functioning and yeah. trusting that there is some innate wisdom that we have and that we hold that our body can restore itself that it can remember and that maybe sort of forcing certain breathing techniques or pushing or striving that that's really more of a modern day stress response yeah. that to yeah. actually downshift and let go and appreciate our breathing as it is and allow it to shift and change as we relax could actually be um, more beneficial. Yeah. yeah. And one thing, if we ask ourselves, what is the reason why we, we tend have a tendency to have a shallow and fast breathing and mouth breathing and holding our breath and, and 
yeah, the posture is definitely one thing. Um, uh, another thing which we haven't talked about much, with, which I think is huge, I think it's actually the main thing, that's our fears, that's our unresolved traumas. And, and uh, to a large extent, we, uh, we have uh, difficult emotions located in the stomach area which we can all relate to, oh, I'm going to do this, that scares the shit out of me, and then I need to go to the toilet, and, and we get an upset stomach. So basically, a previous in, in our evolution, we ran away from the dangers by engaging in physical activity. Today, we ran away from the dangers by moving our breath higher up in our chest so that we don't get in touch with those difficult emotions. So a lot of people can testify to that. Uh, when they start to do breathing uh, retraining, start to use that diaphragm more, that there could be an emotional aspect to it that they, like an emotional cleansing almost. And some people, they no, I don't want to do this. I got in touch with all of that shit that <laughs> I don't want to, to deal with. Uh, and I think for many of us, honestly, we, we spend maybe our whole life running away from that that scares us. We take the next drink, we work harder, we exercise more, we go from one relationship to the, the, the next, et cetera, et cetera. I think what scares us the most, that is where we have the key to, to grow the most. But it is scary to challenge those things. But what I found is that if you uh, uh, hook up with your breath, the breath can actually get you in touch with those fears and difficult emotions. And you can also hold the breath in your hand. It will never let you down. It will always be there whenever you need it. It's your best friend. So it will help you to uh, stay there in these things that, that scare you the most. And, and also what a lot of people, including myself, can uh, uh, agree on is that we suddenly wake up one day and realize, oh, I was used to be afraid of this and this and that, and now I'm not anymore. So it's not that we have to relive our trauma in order to heal them. It's just like if we take more of these thousand breaths in this calm, healing, parasympathetic way, then our, our body will do what it's supposed to. It is supposed to resolve those traumas and, and um and reduce those unnecessary fears. Obviously we have fear for a reason, but a lot, a lot of us I think go around and having too much fears. Our fears control our lives. Fear of what our parents would say or our kids or our uh, workmates or society or our boss or whomever. And, and it's not only about the diaphragm as well, it's also about the nose because our nose has a direct contact with our hippocampus, which is our short-term memory, and our amygdala, which is our emotional center in the brain. So when we engage in mouth breathing, that is a way to not stimulate the amygdala so much. But when we engage in nasal breathing, we definitely do. And that also, I think, contributes to help balancing up these um, to, to achieve a more emotional balance. I'm so glad that you brought this up. This is sort of the elephant in the room when we talk about breathing, where as soon as people drop into their breath, I notice that there's some 
anxiety, some stress that actually increases. And this may turn them off or prevent them from exploring the breath further because they see something that they don't want to see. They feel something that scares them. But I think the breath, as you said, is our best friend. And it's such a beautiful way to put it that our breath can actually help us with that. And in yoga, we say the breath is the great revealer. It's the thing that reveals things to you that you may not want to see, but it is your best friend and it's never going to reveal anything that you can't handle. And so that's one way that hopefully, as you say, we can befriend the breath and learn to trust that whatever is arising is going to be the perfect time for it to arise. And then we can also use the breath to support our softening to it and as you said not to relive the trauma not no, to we don't have to re-express could you say a little bit more about that about how we can you know what let's say something comes up for us while we're breathing because it's inevitably going to right mm-hmm. yeah. how do we work with that being that you know, i'm not a psychologist um i don't think you are either i'm not how, how can we just use our you know our breathing for therapy almost yeah so, so there are these very popular these days uh, the Wim Hof breathing if you're familiar with that mm-hmm. where you breathe quite forcefully but that could also happen in the yoga community right where you have different types of forceful breathing and yes. my way of looking at it in my uh, book there is no right or wrong I, I think we should do what we what we want to do um but my, my take on it is, is that when you do that, you lower the CO2. And when you lower CO2, I mean, when you hyperventilate, when you <sighs> breathe forcefully, when you lower CO2, you automatically increase adrenaline. So you go into a fight flight. So afterwards, after such a breathing session, you feel strong, you feel ready to meet the day or to meet your challenges. But you do it with a kind of from a fight flight approach i think it's much more scary uh, to meet uh, the challenges in your life like being more naked like in a more parasympathetic uh, state like like um, which i think you will achieve if you focus more on the low and slow breathing and, and keeping the levels of co2 um, the CO2 pressure at the more optimum level. So, I mean, no one can deny there are millions of views of, of the Wim Hof videos, for example, and thousands of comments saying that it has changed their life. I'm just saying that I think there is another level. So if we think that we we uh, run away from the, the dangers and then we take the next step, we learn with the forceful breathing to cope with the, the difficult things. But I think the next level uh, above that is to transform. L- like, okay, this happened. Well, maybe there was a reason for it, but I'm still calm and I'm able to deal with it. And at, at the end of the day, the reason why us humans has been able to populate the whole planet and we can live at high altitude, at freezing degrees in the, in the desert, it is because we have this fantastic ability to adapt. 
And for example, with this Corona situations, uh, I think again, the people that are able to uh, adapt and uh, able to, to find a meaning uh, in life when it seems to be utterly meaningless, I, I think those people are best equipped to, uh, to deal with what is going on. I like your, your uh, tie-in to the fast breathing because that is one method to stir things up, bring things up, make us feel even more powerful than that which is coming up, like we have control. But yeah. there's a whole nother way of realizing we, we're not in control. What if yeah. we let go? What if we yeah, stay? What if we let go, exactly. What yeah. if we just stay and face what it is that's in front of us without running? Yeah. And to me, without the adrenaline rush, <laughs> without the adrenaline rush, who are we not pumped up? Who are we down to earth, open, vulnerable? And yoga teaches us that as well, how to access that state. But I think that our racing mind is going to be more enticed by the carrot of fast breathing because you feel something right away. And in yoga, there's this thing where a lot of people approach, let's say level three poses, which I would say are the top poses and they keep pushing and pushing and they want to get to that level three pose. And that's also another way of pushing, striving for something that may or may not even be good for us. What about being aware and conscious in a level one pose and completely embodying that shape and breathing soft low slow yeah. mm -hmm. but I, I think that is where the female energy comes in uh, a, a lot of what we see in today's world uh, bear the 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 man's uh, energy which which has a tendency to be more towards fight flight more towards short term I, I mean if we just look at reproduction our job could be over in in three seconds right <laughs> but a, a woman First to carry the, the, the fetus for nine months and then deliver and then breastfeeding is a whole different approach. I'm not saying it, one is better than the other. I think we need a balance, of course, but I, I, I think we need more of the female energy, more of the, the long-term approach and, and more of that, as you just described so beautifully, where we, we just let go and, and see what happens. We we, are, we relax into the difficulties. That's a beautiful explanation, Anders. Thank you so much for that. I knew there was a reason why I liked you. You <laughs> brought in the masculine and the feminine and the fact that neither is good or bad. That's been a thread through this whole talk here and that one is you know, supporting the other while the other is supporting the other. They really work together, but that yeah. there may be an imbalance happening here and now in our modern day uh, bodies, yeah. you know, we're needing more of that. We're needing to dance with the CO2 a little bit more so that it can yeah. be just more balanced in that feminine state. And, uh, and one thing that I really find interesting, so that is a theory I have, which is we talk about climate change, right? And we talk about the reason we're all going to die is because of increasing CO2 levels in the atmosphere, which will make the globe warmer 
and the glaciers will melt and we will all drown. Basically, that's I'm not saying that theory is, is right or wrong. I'm just saying that no one can deny that the levels of carbon dioxide is increasing in the atmosphere. And as we talked about before, it's about balance between oxygen and carbon dioxide. So if the levels increase in the atmosphere, although they increase very, very slowly, it still has an effect on us. So that's another contributing factor probably to why more people today start to breathe faster because they can't tolerate this increase. And if you add then the fact that we spend about 90% of our time indoors and studies shows that there are two to three times as much CO2 in the indoor atmosphere compared to outdoor. And also when we go to bed, if we lay two people in a bedroom and we are carbon dioxide factories and we may not have the super good ventilation, they could increase even further. So my bottom line is that our exposure to CO2 increases. And now during, for many people, the last couple of years, it has been lockdowns. It has been masks in the face where you basically will rebreathe some of the CO2 you just exhale. So again, either you are able to adapt to these higher levels of CO2, or if you're not, you face the risk of getting into a permanent stress loop where, for example, a lot of people under the mask, they open their mouth because they can't tolerate all the CO2. So from one perspective, the increase of CO2 in the atmosphere, in uh, the, the homes and our, our workplaces, and also the fact now with the masks, for example, all of these, it, it's like a, a crossroad, a divider. Those who can tolerate it, for them, it will probably lead to an increased awareness because CO2 has that ability. There are, for example, studies showing that when people have had a near-death experience, the common denominator was high levels of CO2. And my first uh, realization of the power of CO2 as our natural tranquilizer was when I, uh, there, more than 10 years ago, I went out for a jog. I had just about started with nasal breathing. And this time I had decided to prolong my exhalation as much as I could. Uh, so I took as many steps on the exhale and as few steps on the inhale. So that meant that I gave my body a real CO2 boost because when we're out uh, doing physical activity, our metabolism increases. So our CO2 production increases while at the same time I was reducing the outflow as much as I could. It was really hard. I felt a constant need and air hunger during the whole, I was out for about an hour, but I'm, I'm quite stubborn. And uh, the reward came when I came home. I sat down at the kitchen table and three hours later, I was still sitting there. I was just looking around like I was so completely like in a blissful state, like, okay, where are the angels? Uh, it was amazing. And it was only about the CO2 effect. And it, really, if we, if we look at two people, one is sitting in deep meditation and another person have a panic attack. What is the major difference between those two states? It's not sleep. It's not food. It's not whether they are unemployed or have their dream job or whatever, the main difference is their breath and it's carbon dioxide. The person in a panic attack, if that person comes to the hospital, they will get a bag to breathe in and out through, right? And the reason why it works is because 
they exhale, we exhale hundred times more CO2 than we inhale. So they will rebreathe that CO2 from the mask. And then they will start to calm down because the blood vessels will start to expand and the distressed panic brain will start to get blood and oxygen again, while the person in a deep meditative state already has a low and slow breathing, which means that the carbon dioxide levels are higher. So all in all, I think this is really, really exciting. And if we want to top it, we could also say that oxygen is the male energy while carbon dioxide is the female energy because oxygen comes from the outside and carbon dioxide is actually inviting the oxygen. It's carbon dioxide that makes us take the next breath. It is carbon dioxide that relaxes the smooth muscles that makes the um, airways uh, widen so that the air can go down in the lungs. And then it's carbon dioxide that widens the blood vessels so that the oxygen can travel out in the body. And finally, carbon dioxide gently kicks off the, um, the oxygen from the hemoglobin so that the oxygen can go into the, the muscles and organ and, and uh, be of use. I think we're at the end of our time. I want to respect that you are a busy man with lots to do. And I so appreciate you spending time with us today. There's just uh, so many points that I know our listeners are going to resonate with, and they may even have more questions um, than answers, but they also have a breathing uh, guided little breathing work that we did in the middle there that I think they can always go back to. And what I loved about that was the, the awareness piece. And that was a big theme in that. So thank you again. And I look forward to talking to you again soon at some point. Yeah. Is there anything that you would like to say as we close? Well, my favorite, well, if I would say taping your mouth at night, that's probably the easiest biohack ever. And, and uh, but my favorite activity is physical activity with closed mouth. Uh, and everyone can do it. You don't need to go to the gym and, and, and push yourself as much as you can. You can just go out for a walk and, and just breathe through your nose. And if you want to push it a little bit, then you can just prolong the exhalation. Thank you. And thank you for being such a um, tireless proponent of breathing. The word is definitely getting out there and I know it's helping people so much. So thanks again. And thank you all for listening. If you found value here, subscribe and share this podcast. If you'd like to check out my six-week breathing course, go to siennasmith.com. And I look forward to seeing you all next time. Bye for now.